All right, friends, thank you for being back tonight. Grab your hymn book, page 246, if you would. Brother Ken is uh, on vacation, so I get to pick some of the songs that I like to sing. Page 246, and this is one of my favorites. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Let's all sing it together this evening. As we stand together, page 246. Sing with us now. Redeemed how I love to proclaim. Open us up in prayer tonight, if you would. While Josh is coming, I want to give you two quick prayer requests in addition to the ones that we mentioned this morning. Pray for uh, the family of one of our missionaries, uh, Dr. Justice Banuel. Uh, he uh, went home to be with the Lord just a couple of days ago, unexpectedly so. Dr. Banuel was our missionary to India. Uh, I share this with you all often. We get 70-some prayer letters a month. I'm never able to read them all. I always read Dr. Banuel's and oftentimes shared them with you all as thousands would come to know the Lord through his ministry in India. So pray for that family, if you would. And then also pray for Brother David Toller and his family. Uh, they were voted in today as the pastor at Faith Baptist Church. And we're delighted that uh, God is placing them there. We're supporting them 100%. So you pray for Brother David. He begins in August uh, and uh, will be with us the next couple of Sundays. And we're going to let them know that we love them and surely be praying for them as they uh, undertake this new journey together as a family. Josh, come open us up in prayer. And let's go to the Lord together tonight. Brother Josh. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you tonight, God. We just want to, first of all, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight, God. Lord, most importantly, we thank you for our salvation, Lord, and what it means to us. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for dying on that cross for us. Yes, yes, and Lord, at yes. this time, I just want to ask you to be with Brother Toller, Lord, yeah, as he's taken him, upon Lord. this bless journey. Him. Lord, I pray that you'll just bless him and bless Amen. the church, Lord, and bless his family for, this, for his service for you. Yep. And Lord, I pray that you'll be with Brother Greg tonight, Lord, as he brings us the message. And God, I pray that it'll just touch our hearts. And I pray that you'll just open our hearts and minds, Lord, so that we can be receptive of the word that you have Amen. for us. God, I pray that as we go out the door tonight, Lord, we can walk away changed from tonight's message. And yes, yes, God, yes. I pray that we can take it to our workplaces and to our friends and to our families. And Lord, that we can share you with them, Lord, and that oh, maybe God, we can be an example yes. for others in this world, Lord. Lord, I pray that we can be a light in this dark time, Lord. Yes. Lord, once again, I just pray that you'll be with the message tonight. 
And I pray that you'll be with each and every one of us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joshua. Page 173 uh, in your hymn book. I love this song too. Love lifted me. We'll do a verse or two of it. Then we'll shake hands together tonight and welcome everyone out. Page 173. Love lifted me. Let's sing it together. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe and high. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. All right, we're going to do the third verse. And when I was a kid growing up at uh, Wayside Baptist Church in Ridgeway, my pastor, Thomas Hardy, used to always say when we get to the third verse, uh, instead of singing love lifted me, let's sing Christ lifted me. I don't know why that stuck with me uh, 12 years later. Uh, but I still always think about it when we sing this song. So let's do that together, third verse, uh, and then we'll sing Christ lifted me on the chorus. Here we go. Souls in danger, look above, Jesus completely saves. He will lift you by his love out of the angry waves. He's the master of the sea, billows his will obey. He your savior wants to be, be sick. Christ lifted me, sing it now. Christ lifted me, Christ lifted me. When nothing else could help, Christ lifted me. Christ lifted me. Christ lifted me when nothing else could help. Christ lifted me. All right, shake hands and fellowship a while tonight.
Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Everyone who's still standing, you'll be singing a solo. Come on, make your way up. Amen. <laughs> I've never seen people run to their seats so fast in my life. Amen. Uh, ushers, make your way down tonight. Brother Gerald, come get ready to sing for us this evening. Congregation, turn in your Bibles tonight, if you would, please, to the book of Romans, chapter number 8. The book of Romans, chapter number 8, is where we'll be looking this evening. Let's pray and ask God's blessings. Lord, bless the offering tonight. Lord, it's always good. Have a good time in your house. And I'm glad a merry heart doeth good like medicine. Bless now in our, uh, our preaching time, Brother Gerald, as he sings in this offering in Christ's name. Amen. That's my father-in-law's favorite hymn. Thank you, Brother Gerald. I appreciate that tonight. Romans chapter number 8, if you would, please. Romans chapter number 8. I'll share something with you just to put a little smile on your face, and we'll dive into the message this evening. A couple of days ago, I had left work heading to the house. To, uh, the evening was done, and we'd actually been late that evening. We'd had an event that I was staying for. It's about 7.30, and I had stopped to get gas at the little station right there below the college, and uh, most of you know that I drive uh, now what was my mother's Mercury Grand uh, uh, Marquis that she had for years and years, and um, that's uh, what I drive now uh, as a personal vehicle. Well, I was filling up that, that car, which is a big one, and it takes a little while to fill that joker up, and, and right beside of me was a, a direct TV van. And there were three men standing there and chatting and looking over at me. And chatting and looking over at me. Usually when that happens, it means I taught them as third graders. I taught their kids or I taught uh, usually their wives in early childhood at Patrick Henry. And so I kept looking back and nodding and they'd nod like guys do, you know. And uh, nobody said a word. We just nod and look away and look back and nod and look away. As guys do. and <laughs> So um, two of them left, and I was finishing up my, my uh, gas, and so I, you know, do what you do, and 
hung it up, and just before I got in my car, the one that was left said, have a good day, officer. And I turned and looked, and I said, excuse me? And he said, have a good day, officer. And I said, well, I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm not an officer. And he said, yeah, right. How many did you arrest today? I said, sir, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not a police officer. I said, I have nothing but imminent respect for law enforcement, but I'm not one. He said, you've got a cop car. You've got cop hair. You've got to be an officer. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Couldn't convince him otherwise. I just told him to drive safely. Amen. <laughs> Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. Chapter 8. Verse 14 through 17 is what we'll look at tonight. Let's go ahead and read it together. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We could stop right there and shout for about an hour. And if children, then heirs of God. Join heirs. With Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. The year is 57 AD. Paul is on the second of his three missionary journeys. He is residing in the metropolitan city of Corinth. Of all the cities, that Paul would visit, none was as economically important, as strategically advantageous, as was the city of Corinth. At this point, as far as we know and by his own words, Paul had not yet visited the city of Rome. Paul would spend three years in Corinth, setting up the churches, getting them going, You've heard me say this many times of all the churches that Paul dealt with. None gave him as much a fit as the city of Corinth. In that great economic infrastructure that was Corinth was a city, if you will, where the crosshairs of society would meet. Importing and exporting for much of what we know of as the Roman Empire would happen in the city of Corinth. Much like today, Washington, D.C. is the capital of America, but if you've ever been to a city like New York or Los Angeles, you recognize that those are economic superstructures. That was the case with the city of Corinth. While Rome was the capital of the Roman Empire, Corinth was the New York of the Roman Empire. It was where the societies came together. It was where the economic business was done. So no doubt, Paul met many believers from Rome passing through the gates of Corinth. And in that meeting with him, they began to, I think, explain to him what was happening in Rome. How though he had personally never been there himself, uh, the church at Rome was exploding in growth. And interestingly, in the year 57 AD, a young new leader had just ascended the throne. A leader by the name of Nero. At the age of 16, he would be the youngest to rule the Roman Empire. Many were encouraged uh, by his initial words, granting religious freedom, allowing people to worship the polytheistic gods of Rome or to worship as any way they dictated. But as Nero would age, he would change his views on religion drastically. You see, 57 AD is when Paul writes the letter. And in seven short years, at the age of 23, the young Nero 
would set afire the Christian world when he had them publicly executed. And with, uh, I don't want to be too graphic because of the little ones, but it would alight their heads aflame in his garden as torches at night. This man, this ruler uh, who had initially allowed freedom of worship uh, has now become an emperor, if you will, a dictator of sorts uh, who is demanding the worship of him in order to survive. It's during this pre-Nero catastrophe that Paul pins what we know to be the book of Romans. Of, Of all the books that are written in our Bible, none present as clear a presentation of the gospel as does the book of Romans. It's why we use these specific verses that we call the Romans road when we want to lead someone to Jesus Christ. The outline of the book of Romans is really very classic in nature. If you study this in seminary, it'll be broken down into three main topic areas. The first eight chapters of the book of Rome deal all about the sinfulness of humanity. In fact, one of the most important chapters I think to read in all of the Bible is Romans chapter 1, which very clearly expounds the fact that God will deal with individuals just so long. There will come a time when God will cease dealing with individuals and he turns them over to what he calls a reprobate mind, where God takes his hand off. Chapters 2 through 8 continue to talk about the sinfulness of mankind. Chapters 9 through 11 talk about the importance of Israel in the divine plan of God and how God manifested himself through the nation of Israel. And finally, the last third of the book, 12 through 15, deals with how we as believers are to conduct ourselves in the affairs of society, civil government, church, Paul very clearly articulates the fact that as believers, uh, we're not like everybody else. We're different. So when we look at Romans chapter number 8, Paul has spent seven chapters talking about how bad man really is. I have shared often, it's one of the worldviews that sets us apart today from much of society. Much of society believes that mankind is basically good. And left to his own devices, he can rise himself up. Uh, But those of us that are saved, we know better. Uh, We know that mankind is not basically good. That absent Jesus Christ, mankind is evil, helpless, and hopeless. After spending seven chapters talking about the sinfulness of mankind, Paul comes to the point of his letter that we look at as Romans chapter 8, and everything turns around. Because in Romans chapter number 8... We go from the sinfulness of mankind to the salvation of the master. So I want to give you a message tonight looking at this last chunk of this chapter. And I want to talk very simply to believers tonight about this simple statement. Why salvation is so wonderful. Why it's so wonderful to be saved. Can I make a silly statement to open this up tonight? The lost world, they don't know what they're missing. I think sometimes they look at Christians and they think that we're missing out. They think that we're not enjoying ourselves. I don't talk about my past a whole lot, especially when my children are around. But may I be very kind, I've been on both sides of the spiritual track. I'm not going to give you details, you don't need to know them, but I've spent plenty plenty of day and plenty of night wallowing in the pig pits of this world. And I've spent plenty of day and plenty of night in the presence of the Lord, and I can tell you I'm having a whole lot better time now than I ever did way back then. So why is salvation so good? What makes being a believer so wonderful? Yes, there is, of course, the reality of heaven. And thank God for heaven. But may I say, if there were no heaven, it's still worth living for God. Why? Three things that Paul gives us in these last few verses of Romans chapter 8. Number one, we've been adopted. We've been adopted. That's an important and imperative statement. If you look at verse number 14... 
it's very clear that through the process of adoption, we've got some new things. Scripture says in verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the, what's the word? Sons of God. You see, as part of the adopted family of God, the moment you get saved and get grafted or adopted into that family, you suddenly have something you didn't have prior to salvation. You've got a new family. You've got a new family. The reality is that when we become the sons of God, we are removed from our old family, the family of Adam, and we are placed into a new family, the family of God. You understand that that mankind is but a few days old and full of trouble, uh, that we are born sinners, uh, we choose to sin. I believe with all of my heart uh, that once we reach that age of accountability uh, and we understand right from wrong, we know that salvation uh, is something that we must do to inherit heaven, uh, that the moment we get saved, we get placed out of the old family and into the new family, the family of God. I find it interesting now My wife and I have ongoing jokes and conversations about this. uh, That as we age, sometimes we start acting like our parents. Amen. If I really want to make my wife really angry, I mean hopping John mad. All I've got to look at her and do is say, all right, Betty. And she usually responds in kind by saying, okay, Jim. We have these ongoing conversations that as we age, we sometimes act like our parents. Why? Because we spend a lot of time with our parents most of the time. We were raised by our parents. Uh, We tend to adopt the personality traits of our parents. Uh, Would you look at me tonight? Uh, Spend more time with God, you start tending to act like God. You get grafted into the family uh, and you start, I know some of you are still stuck on that acting like your mom and daddy. I get it, y'all still looking around at each other. uh, But would you look at me, the point of the, 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 where the application is this. Uh, We need to realize that if we spend enough time with him, we start acting like him. We're grafted into his family. We get a new family. Of course, the best part is the fact, according to verse number 15, not only do we get a new family, we get a new father. We get a new father. When we talk about adoption, you need to understand that there are societal implications to that word. Adoption means very different things in very different societies. Paul is talking to a Roman audience. And I wanna, want you to understand what he means and the implications of adoption to a Roman audience. You see, in Rome and in much of the world today, when somebody was adopted, they could never be unadopted. They were eternally secure in that adoption. Let me let you in on something. I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, But parents, you can disinherit your children. Don't get excited. You can disown your children. Don't get excited. Unless they're adopted. Legally, you cannot unadopt someone you've adopted. You're stuck with them. They're yours forever. Can I pause just a moment? And say, when I think about that, it gives me excitement to realize that I've been adopted into the family of God and I can never be unadopted. Yes, I may disappoint him. Yes, I may make him angry. I promise you I do. But he will never unadopt me. I've been grafted into his family. I'm eternally secure. Likewise, it's the simple understanding that not only can we not be unadopted, but as an adopted child, I have all the rights of a biological son. We're going to read in just a moment that we are joint heirs with Christ. That simple statement, church, when you wrap your mind around it, that simple statement is staggering. Heirs to God is good enough. I mean, heirs to God that he would let us into the family, that he would allow us a place in heaven. But he goes on to say that we are joint heirs heirs with Christ. That means uh, 
that all of God's children have the same rights uh, that his own biological son, Jesus Christ, has. That blows my mind. When I look at my own sinfulness and my own spiritual frailty and how vile I am in God's eyes and how vile my good deeds are, yet he puts all of that aside because when he sees me, he doesn't see me through the flesh. He sees me through the lens of the blood. He looks at me just like I was his own biological child. Staggering. I can't be unadopted. I've got all the rights of a biological child. And then thirdly, I lost all the rights of my old family. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. You see, if you're from family X in Roman society, you need to understand that if your father is a debtor, he owes a tremendous amount of money in Roman society and for whatever reason he's unable to pay that debt and he passes away that debt falls to you I've shared this story on many occasions when I was fortunate enough to get my doctorate degree I was hooded and came down from the stage my son met me right there uh, put his arms around me said daddy I'm so proud of you if you die tomorrow do we have to pay back your loans (laughs) In America, the answer is no, but in Roman society, the answer is yes, you do. And in fact, if your father committed crimes and he doesn't serve out his sentence, the debts of society fall to the children, can you imagine? But when a a child is adopted out of that family into a new family, the claims of the old family no longer have a hold on him. Amen. So what was counted as guilty for that child has now been released because he's in a new family and what had a what had a hold on him before no longer has a hold on him now. May I say to you, when Satan tries to bring up your past, when he tries to tell you what you used to be, you can pause a moment and remind him that, yes, that's what you was, but that ain't what you is, and God's done forgotten all about that, and so should you. Amen. A new family. A new father. But I also want you to notice We also get a new freedom. We get a new freedom. Verse 15 says, For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. I need to hearken back to the illustration I just gave you. You're a child of family X. Your father has many debts that he cannot pay. They fall to you. Your father has committed a crime and not yet finished out his debts to society, that debt falls to you. Do you understand that that means you will likely spend the rest of your life in bondage because of the crimes of your father? What a horrible way to live. But may I say to you, when you get adopted, amen, those chains are gone. That bondage has been removed. That which used to have a hold on you no longer does. You have been set free, which is why the writer of Hebrews says, you can now come boldly to the throne of grace. Why is salvation so good? Because we've been adopted. We've been adopted. Number two tonight, not only have we been adopted, we have assurance. We have assurance. A few weeks ago, in my Bible study Sunday school class, I passed out index cards. And I asked everyone to fill out their top three to five issues that they have questions about or that they struggle with. Things that they wanted to know more about. Brother Ken and I combined our classes so that the teens would be in there. And I asked them to not put their name on it so that they could be very forthright and honest. I want to know what they struggle with. And for the rest of the summer, that's going to determine our curriculum. That's going to determine what we talk about. We spent a couple of weeks uh, talking about the ongoing debate between creationism and evolution. This morning, we talked about a topic that was written down, I know, by 15 cards. Uh, It was the idea of eternal security. Losing our salvation. How we can know uh, if we're saved that we're always saved. 
I shared with my class this morning. The idea of losing a salvation is something that my mother was raised in. As a Pentecostal holiness in West Virginia, she was born, raised to believe that you could never know from one day to the next whether or not you're saved. I kid my parents uh, because when my daddy pastored, he's very quiet now, but when my father pastored, he was a kind of hoop hollering fella. And so I, I like to kid them uh, that when they got married, mama started believing like daddy and daddy started acting like mama. <laughs> Amen. But the reality is my mother has said on many occasions when she was alive that our pastor, Brother Hardy, had to drink gallons of coffee at their kitchen table convincing her that she did not need to get saved again. I am not here to parse hairs with that. I shared that this morning. I know that there are many wonderful believers out there, and thank God for them, that believe you can lose your salvation. I'm not being unkind. I just don't share that belief. Why? Because verse number 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if we've been adopted, I just told you, you can't get unadopted. John 14, verses 16 through 18 talks about the comforter. Jesus is reminding his disciples that he will soon have to leave, but he will not leave them comfortless. He will send along another being, if you will. We call it the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is that Holy Spirit which is the comforter of the brethren. Every time I talk about that word comforter, I think I always hearken back to the same little story. My grandmother who was a dyed-in-the-wool Pentecostal holiness and would never get over it. In fact, uh, my grandmother uh, believed if you weren't talking in tongues at any given moment, you probably weren't right with God. Amen. But all, for all of her children and all 13 of her grandchildren and all ever how many of her great-grandchildren until she passed away or became unable, whenever they would get married or go off to college... She would make them what I called a quilt. If you were getting married, she would take the colors of your wedding and she'd make what she called a double wedding ring quilt. If you were going off to college, she would take the college colors of your university or college and she'd make what she called her standard college pattern quilt. I have to tell you as a 18-year-old little snot-nosed boy who knew everything. I didn't value that one little iota. As a nearly 50-year-old grown man, I treasure it with my every fabric of my being. In fact, my mother, when my grandmother passed away, uh, and the daughters, the grandfather had already passed, the daughters were gathered together and kind of deciding who was going to get what. I, I can still see my mom standing in their little trailer uh, with tears streaming down her face, and she said, all I want's the comforters. All I want's the comforters. I asked my mother why she, we, my dad, bless his heart, we got a house full of quilts now. More quilts. We could, we could accommodate about 92 people sleeping in our house because we've got so many quilts. I asked my mother one time why she, I always called them quilts. Mother called them comforters. I said, Mama, why did you want all the quilts? And she, she would quiver her lip a little bit and she said, because Granny's hands is, she called her, my Mama's hands is all over it. Mama's hands was all over it. And she even told me one time uh, that she could pull the comforter up over her and feel her mama's hands wrapped around her. I don't know about you, but that gives me goosebumps all up and down my spine. Because when you're at the midnight hour uh, and you don't know how to pray anymore uh, and you don't have the words to say uh, and the tears won't quit flowing down your face, uh, I am glad that you've got a comforter uh, that you can pull up around you. Uh, and that means God's hands is all over you. That spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. We've got assurance. We've got adoption. And then finally tonight, number three. Not only do we have adoption and assurance. I want you to notice this may sound a bit strange for many of us. We also have incredible affluence. That word means we're wealthy. We're rich. Beyond compare. Now wait a minute. Many of you are like me. You wouldn't put your physical wealth up against too much tonight. But I'm not talking about physical wealth. I'm talking about spiritual wealth. Look at what verse 17 says. 
And if children, then heirs. Do you know what an heir is? An heir is the person who gets whatever's left behind. Who gets to partake of the riches of the one who went ahead. An heir is someone who inherits what was left behind for him. Typically, it's the passage of a father to a son. In Jewish society, you know this, there was the principle of the double portion. We read about that as far back as Genesis. In Jewish society, there was a real pecking order. The oldest son got a double portion. And then everyone else got a single portion. And daughters got nothing unless there were no male heirs. And the daughters would have to get married so that their husbands could accept the wealth of the family. That was the Jewish society. In Roman society, it wasn't like that. In Roman society, everybody was on equal footing. In Roman society, males and females were equal. In Roman society, the firstborn got nothing more than the secondborn or the thirdborn. They were all on joint pecking order. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, oh, I like that. I can do one better. Jewish society, double portion for the oldest. Roman society, everybody's equal. But in God's economy, it's like we're the only child. Amen. It's like we're the only child. We have this ongoing joke in my family that it's a good thing mother and daddy did not have but one child because it would have been a shame for that other one to be left out of everything. Amen. I tell my parents all, I used to tell my parents all the time, I know why they didn't have but one. They got it right the first time. Amen. But the reality is when you are the only child, You've got great responsibility, but there's great privilege. So when God looks at us, he doesn't say, are you the firstborn? Are you male, female? He looks at us as joint heirs as if we are the only child he has. And then he goes on to say, joint heirs with Christ. I am a, of everything I will share tonight, I am astounded by that statement. Think about that, church. Think about the divinity, the perfection, the incredible sinfulness price that he paid. Think about the price, the cross, the resurrection. Think about all of that. Think about your own sinfulness. Think about your own failures. Think about your own weakness, your own anger, your own temper. And understand that when God looks at you, he looks at you at the same eyes he does his own son. I don't know what that does to you. That blows my mind. I know how vile I am. And if you're honest, you know how vile you are. You know how sinful you are. Yet when God sees us, he sees us through the lens of the blood. And he sees us as joint heirs. With Christ. What does Christ get? Everything. We looked at it this morning. When he returns to the throne of David, he inherits everything. Guess who inherits it with him? The bride. Joint heirs with Christ. If so be, notice the last part because it's important. If so be, verse 17, that we suffer with him. Oh, we got to stop right there. Because that's a big red flag. It lets us know that as wonderful as salvation is, it won't always be easy. It won't always be easy. My goodness, I wish I had a quarter for every time I've said, getting saved is the easiest thing you'll ever do. Living saved is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Living saved is the challenge of every believer. There will be times when you suffer. There will be times when you have difficulty. There will be storms. There will be problems. There will even be tragedies. But here's the incredible thing. You won't be there by yourself. If so be that we suffer with him. That we may be also glorified together. 
even as a 50, nearly 50-year-old 50 preacher. I reflect back over 17-plus years. There have been a lot of ups, a lot of downs. Renee and I, when we celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary in December, took a little trip together. It was impossible not to think back over memory lane and simply say, my goodness, how fast this has all happened. I mean, my stars, uh, it felt like, uh, uh, some of you know this, Renee and I brought in two teenagers uh, uh, from our old church uh, because uh, we couldn't have kids for five years. We tried and she wasn't able to have children or to conceive. We brought in two teenagers and boom, she got pregnant with James. I had him and then 14 months later, she got pregnant with Lydia. I said, I don't appreciate this. I haven't lost the weight from James yet. Amen. Oh, boom, boom, boom. And you look at me. You parents, you know I'm right. When that happened, time sped up exponentially. It's impossible not to reflect back and say, man, look at the good times. Look at the challenges. And here's what's the incredible part. When you stand back and you look at the challenges, suddenly they become not so deep. I will never forget what Sister, I'm done, Sister Teresa said this morning. I actually went home and read, wrote it in the fly leaf of my Bible. She's so soft-spoken, but I love what she said in Sunday school. She said, I want to thank God for answered prayer. I don't know why he loves us so much and why he's so good to us. Amen, church. I know a little bit of what they're talking about. I know some of the challenges that they faced, uh, and some of it could have been catastrophic, but God came through. God answered prayer in a way that we never thought possible, but in time, on time, every time, God came through. Join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Let's stand to our feet. Oh, thank you for your attention. It's mighty good to be a child of God. Mighty good to be saved. Here's what I want to do tonight. Miss Renee, Miss Lisa, just play a verse of Amazing Grace. Would you do that? Turn it, take it to G. Amazing Grace. I want you to sing this. I know we sung it this morning, but let's just sing a verse of this together tonight. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. If you want to make your way to the altar, come on, you can pray tonight, thanking God for how good he's been to you, but let's sing it out together all over the building. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Sing now. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind. Dangers, toils, and snares, sing it with the snail all over. Thank you, Lord, uh, that we are adopted, uh, that we have the assurance, uh, and we are joint heirs with Christ. Lord, I pray your blessings upon our church as we depart tonight. Bring us back Wednesday night as we continue to look at overcoming spiritual discouragement. Lord, I pray that you would empower us to preach, uh, and Lord, help our folks, our church, and our community. We love you, and we thank you for loving us in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed tonight, church. Thank you for being here this evening.